Last week, I spoke about the Beit HaMikdash, right? And, you know, certain very important ideas about the Beit HaMikdash, you see. And there were two ideas which I had said, you know, um, and it's worthwhile just repeating them. One idea was that when Yechezkel, when God said to him, I want you to record the dimensions of the Beit HaMikdash, the third one. So, of course, Yechezkel said, they're going into Golis. Why would they want to know about the third Beit HaMikdash? And what God, of course, uh, alluded to was that in this period of uh, Golis, Galut, is really a third preparation, third device that will do the Tikkun. So therefore the teaching of the third Beis Hamikdash indicates that there will be a Beis Hamikdash and this, this period of Golas really is a, a Tikkun for that. You see. <clears throat> and so that was a very important idea. Uh, I also mentioned very important idea that what the second what the third base Hamikdash really is is the Beit Hamikdash the Milo the upper base Hamikdash actually comes down and becomes a portal a window from which the upper uh, the Urus the light the Kedusha of the upper base Hamikdash now merges with and becomes part of the Third base in Mikdash. And that's why it is really built by the Rabbani Shlodim, the third base in Mikdash. And that is why, also, which is very important, that is why in the Messianic era, there's so much incredible amount of awe. Because you're looking at the base of Mikdash in heaven that has now connected with and become the second base, the third base of Mikdash here. And therefore, that allows for the entry of enormous amount of Kedusha and Hasogo, you know, tremendous amount of knowledge uh, as a result of that. So those were the two ideas which I had mentioned last week, which are in many ways very important and so on. Now, I just wanted to mention and continue on that theme Really, when you think about it, you see, um, there are several ways that one can bring the Mashiach. And I just wanted to go over them. And also, we will see that one of the ways is the, the Avrido, the actual service of the Beis Hamikdash. you see. And that's one of the ideas. <clears throat> First, the, the first idea is, is the, there, was, there is a Midrash. It's well known. Where Avram Avinu, by the Brisbane Absorum, when God is making an agreement with Avram Avinu in Breshit, and uh, the Rabbani Shem tells him that your children, you know, they, they have to, they're destined to do what? Uh, to build to do the mitzvot, and I, of course, will give them Eretz Yisrael, and ultimately the, the whole Olam uh, Habo, future world. So what Avraham Avinu said was, Bamo Eida, 
Well, how do I really know that this will happen? Why? Because he reasoned that what happens if they don't do it? What happens if they sin? So he said to God, well, what happened to the marble? <clears throat> Which means that they also were supposed to do the tikkun, and obviously they failed. So what did God do? He destroyed the entire world. So what Avraham Avinu said was, well, how do I know that my descendants, it's, it's nice that you're giving them the job of tikkun, but how do I know that they will not sin? Because if they sin, maybe we'll destroy them also. And you'll give it over to some other nation. You see. So the Rabbanisham told him that I am going to put in place a way to do tshuva. Especially uh, a way to do tshuva in terms of the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, there will be korbonis. There will be sacrifices. And what the sacrifices will do is will bring them a kapara, which is a very important concept. The whole idea of korbanot, the offerings in the temple. So what the Ramayasham told Avram Avinu is what? Is that when they bring a korban, especially a chatos, which is a certain process of korban, there's, a, there's an osham, is an oilo, shlomim, mincho, nesech, and so on, all of these koponis have intrinsically involved in them a kapara. So that's what the Bansham told Avram Avinu. I have put in place a way that they can achieve an atonement for their sins. So Avram Avinu said to the Rabbanisham, he said, this is good as long as the Beit HaMikdash survives. But Avram Avinu saw prophetically that it won't survive. It will be destroyed. So he said to Rabbanu Yishlam, well, when it's destroyed, then what will the Jews do? Right? There's no Beit HaMikdash. And if there's no Beit HaMikdash, then you cannot achieve a kapara, an atonement, a forgiveness, right, without a Beit HaMikdash. So then how do I know that you will allow them to survive? And was the original question comes back. Maybe we'll destroy them. Give the tea. You see. That's what he said. So the Marsham told him something which is a tremendous concept. He said the following. <clears throat> he said that <clears throat> if somebody learns Korbanot. In other words, he learns what's called the Torah of Korbanis, Korbanis, where he learns all about the offerings, the sacrifices of the Beis HaMikdash, then I will consider it as if he brings those Korbanis. That's what God said, which is an astounding concept. <clears throat> Normally, you know, there's a mitzvah of Limur Torah. You learn Torah. That's a mitzvah. You see, it's the, really the greatest of the mitzvahs is to learn the Torah itself. But the second kind of mitzvah is to do the mitzvah, the mitzvot that the Torah says. You see. So therefore there's Limud 
of Torah, the learning of the Torah, and there's Asiya, actually doing the mitzvah. But if you learn, that's one mitzvah, but it really has nothing to do with doing, you actually have to do the mitzvah of learning Torah. So what the Rav said to Avram Avinu is stunning. He said that I'm going to consider learning about the Korbonus, right, as if they did it. So the learning is equal to the doing, which is incredible. And this is what the Rav told Avram Avinu, that if they learn about the Beit HaMikdash, right, I will consider it, uh, and the Korbanot, I will consider it as if they bring the Korbanot, and obviously if they bring it, they will have a kapara. You see. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> what is interesting, and this is also by Yechezkel, is that God said to Yechezkel that if they learn about the Beit HaMikdash, then I will consider it as if they build the Beit HaMikdash. You see? Same concept. So therefore, what is interesting is that it is actually possible to, uh, to engage in the, either building the Beit HaMikdash or offering sacrifices, right, without the Beit HaMikdash at all. And this is provided by God in order to enable us, right, to be involved in Kapara. So this is an incredible chidush, that it is possible to get a kapora, an atonement, right, for everything, merely by learning about korbonis, you see. And certainly it's possible to build the base of Mikdash, merely learning about the building itself. So that's what the Bonsham did. That's what he answered him by Avram Avinu. Uh, Therefore, even though the base Amigdash is destroyed, you see, however, if they learn about the Korbanus, then I will consider it as if they had brought it. Now remember, this is the Rabbanus I'm speaking. And obviously, if that's what he says, then that's the truth of the matter. You see, so this we learn out from the Chazal of Avram Avino. <clears throat> now we have the same type of Chazal in the Gemara, where Rabbi Yechelen says, it says in a Pasuk, Zos Torat Achatas. This is the law of the Chatas. Now, it should have just said, Zot Chatas. This is the Chatas, which means, obviously, the laws of a Chatas. Well, Chatas is a sin offering, by the way. And so Rabbi Yechelen says, that since it says this is the law of the chattas, and just and doesn't say this is the chattas, therefore, if you learn the law of chattas, then it's as if you brought chattas. You see? So it's the second time we find what Avram Avinu said, what, what God said to Avram Avinu, uh, that learning korbonus right, is as if you did the Korbanus. Now, that, that has tremendous ramifications. What are they? One, <clears throat> therefore, learning about Korbanus, and by the way, a woman can ask, well, I don't learn about Korbanus. How would I take advantage? And the answer is that in the morning, 
And that is the reason why we have. After the, after, after the Birches HaShacha, you have the Akedah, and then you have Kobonis in the morning prayer, in Shachris. Why is that? <clears throat> because they made it part of the Shachris Siddur for this reason, that if you daven the Kobonis and you understand what you're saying, then it's considered as if you brought those korbanos. Now think about what that means. It has a lot of different uh, repercussions. One, you save a lot of money. Do you know what an animal costs to offer up in the base of Migdash? It's a lot of money to bring a cow or to bring a goat or a sheep. You see? Uh, so if you could do the same thing by learning, then you could save yourself a tremendous amount of money when the Mashiach comes. You see? <clears throat> That's an interesting concept. But there are other things that you do when a person engages in understanding the whole concept of korbanos, the offerings. One of them <clears throat> is that you are prepared for the Mashiach. Because since... Um, the Mashiach is going to build the base of Mignosh, especially the Mashiach Ben Yosef, well, then you are familiar with the laws. You know exactly when you have to bring one, what you have to bring, you know, when and where and so on. So that's called a tremendous preparation for the coming of the Mashiach. You see? So that's the first idea. Another idea is even more important. Because if God sees that the Jews want the Beis HaMikdash, because they actually learn about the Beis HaMikdash, and that is considered as if they actually bring in sacrifices, then that will serve as what's called in English an inducement. It's an inducement. It's a, a something which um, will persuade God to build the base of Mikdash. Because when God sees that people want it, and they show that by knowing the laws and saying it in chakras, let's say, and learning about it, that is a tremendous incentive for God to bring. And what it really does is it provides a tremendous merit for the Jews to get the base of Mikdash. And obviously, Getting the base of Mignosh, right, is all about the Mashiach. Because obviously, the one who builds the base of Mignosh is the Mashiach ben Yosef, you see. So obviously, <clears throat> learning about that provides one with a tremendous merit that God sees, well, you want the base of Mignosh, so I will actually bring it about, you see. <clears throat> so that's a tremendous idea. You see, that it actually provides an inducement or incentive for God to bring the base of Mikdash because he sees that people are not merely ignoring it. But like I said, one of the main ideas is that when you learn or you daven about the base of Mikdash, it provides a tremendous atonement or kapora. See, it's an amazing idea when you think about it, how you can have a kapora just by learning about 
korbonus. So this is certain very important ideas. So therefore, we can say that to learn about korbonus actually is one of the ways, and by the way, that's in Kutchum, Seder Kutchum, the Mishnahis of Kutchum. To learn about that actually provides one of the ways that the, it brings the Geula, the redemption, much closer, which is interesting. Most people don't think of it that way, but when you look at all these Chazals, you realize that this can actually happen, you see. <clears throat> now, the question is, what is, really, what is it really all about, you see? What is the essential idea of the Beis HaMikdash? Now, a great deal of it, obviously, most of the operations of the temple of the Beis HaMikdash is the korbonus, the sacrifices or the offerings. I mean, there are other things going on, but that was most of the activity of the Beis HaMikdash. The question is, what is the logic of this? Why? You know, it's interesting that many religions of the ancient world, the Romans, the Greeks, they all had some form of sacrifices. In fact, the first one who offered a sacrifice was Odom Horishan as a Chazan. Then Noach made a sacrifice and Avram and so on. <clears throat> so the question then is, what is the meaning behind the sacrifice? You see. And obviously, at least 90% of the activities in the Beis Hamikdash was all about korbanos. So that's the question. <clears throat> well, there are many ideas, especially Kabbalistic ones, in terms of what the Beis Hamikdash does. But one of the important ideas is the following. And actually, we learn that from the Akeda. You see, in any case, there's a Medrash Chazal that says the following, that God said to various um, ideas or various entities, if a person sins, what should be done with him? It's almost like he consulted various different angels that represent different Midas traits. Well, anyway, one of them answered, Din answered, right, that he has to die. You violated the word of God, uh, so the proper punishment really is death. The question is why? That was one of the answers. The question is why is that? And the answer to that is because think about it. <clears throat> when a person does a mitzvah, what is he really doing? He's doing or acknowledging that it is the will of God that is supreme. And therefore, I will do the mitzvah. It's a statement that God is supreme, and therefore, I will do his will. And since his will is to do the mitzvah, right, and I will do the mitzvah, that means that you are acknowledging the supremacy of the will of God. But what happens, and therefore, the reward for that is that God will appear to you, since you believe his will is supreme, right? And therefore, you exist because of him. But what happens if a person sins? Then it's the opposite. Then you are saying that it is the will of God 
is not supreme. There's also my will. There's what I want to do. And what I want to do is sin, right? Why? Because I believe, right, that I have a right to a will other than God. But what you're really saying is that the reason why I have a will other than God is because I exist independent of God. You see, that's really a statement. When a person sins, what he's really saying is, I am entitled to my own will. Right? And therefore, the reason for that is because I exist independent of God. And therefore, I could do whatever I want. So what you're really testifying when you sin is that you feel that you exist independent of God. So what God then says to you, be the connected mido, measure for measure. If you feel that you exist independent of me, and therefore you could do whatever you want, then what I will do is I will withdraw, right, my sustenance from you, because you don't need me, right? You exist independent of me. So you don't need me to prop you up. So I will withdraw my sustenance or that I sustain your existence. And of course, when God does that, then that individual will instantly annihilate because he doesn't exist by himself. God creates and maintains the existence of everything, you see? So what a sin does, it's really a statement about who you think you really are. So if you make that statement that you exist independent of God, so God says, fine, then I will accede to your statement and I will disappear and immediately you vanish. You see, so the concept, and that's why Din said, the concept of death, it's not that it's a punishment. The concept of death, right, is in conformity with what you said. You said you exist independent of God, and therefore you die, because God leaves, and then you're finished. You see? So that's the logic. If a person does a sin, which in essence means he does what his will says, then it's not that the punishment is death. The consequences of that statement is death. You see? That's the depth of what that Medrash really says. So based on that, we now understand something very important. That the din is the real, true judgment of any sin is death. Not because of the severity of the sin, uh, you see, or because of a punishment. No. It is a result of your statement that you believe you are independent of God and therefore you are entitled to your own will. You see? So therefore, death is a logical conclusion to your testimony, your sin. That's a very important idea. So what did God do? Now we know that the world runs through din or justice. What does that mean? That means God wants you to earn your oilam habo, your future world. That's what din is. What din is, is the concept of cause and effect. 
when you do something, that's a cause, and then there's an effect. That's justice. That's din, you see? The reverse of that, rachamim, is a suspension of din. It's when you really should have gotten something, the effect, but God does not allow that effect to take place. It's a very, that's a very important idea. That in the end, din or justice demands termination, death, you see, because that's a logical conclusion or statement, you see. So what God realized, obviously, and this is the beginning of Bracious, that this world can have no kiyom. It can't last with din. Obviously, because as soon as a person sins, he's dead. And obviously, the world cannot have a kiyom. It cannot have a fulfillment. It has no ability to permanently survive with that type of a, uh, a, a characteristic. So what God did, and this is in the beginning, Rashi says this, God, which means that he partnered din with rachamim. And rachamim, which means compassion or mercy, is a suspension of din. So even though a person rightly should die, God will not allow him to die, right? He doesn't care. And therefore, he will not allow him to die. He will give him another chance uh, down the line, down the road, in order to do tshuva. But if you think about it, but the din really is the right, is really the truth, not rachmim. Rachmim, you see, happen, mercy, compassion, in order to will to survive. But the true concept of justice is annihilation. So therefore, what God did is very interesting. He said that I want to be able to terminate a person because that's MS and I am MS. But obviously, the world won't survive that way. So what I'm going to do is something very interesting. And this begins to provide the understanding of the whole concept of the Beisad Mikdash and Korbonus. And it's really the concept of the Ramban. The Ramban says this, is that when a person brings an animal or a bird or whatever, then he is supposed to imagine that really the sin should have killed me. That's what a person has to think. And by the way, this is the Vidui. When you bring a korban, you are misvade. You put your hands on top of the head of the animal, right? And you are, say the vidu, you make, you say a confession. And what do you say? That I sinned the following sin, right? And my axe was the axe of an animal. And really, I deserve not to live. However, God allowed me to substitute, the person says, his death for the death of the sacrifice. It comes out that the animal that you sacrifice is in lieu of you. Which is interesting. And that's what the Ramban says. <clears throat> that the Kobonis is a way that a person can satisfy justice, which is death, or sacrifice to God, right? He can do that, right? As a substitute, as a surrogate, you see. And that's 
one of the main ideas of Kobanus. And that's why every korban that you bring has what's called a vidoy, basically, where you profess and you confess to the sin that you did, and you're saying that this animal should die instead of me, the person says, the animal should die, and that should be a kapora. And God actually created the wherewithal for a substitutional reality. That's why that animal really represents the owner of the cow or the or whatever the uh, the ox or whatever you see that's called a representational reality so the reality of the base amygdala represents you you see and it is a way that you can actually die without dying you see so you can fulfill the true judgment or justice by bringing a sacrifice instead of yourself you see that's a very important concept because it explains the whole concept of the base amygdala, which is basically offerings or sacrifices, you see. And that's the difference. The religions of old, you see, under Rome or, or, or Greece or any of the places that had temples, right, is they did it to appease the gods. Because they felt that the gods are always angry, whatever, and one has to appease them by offering sacrifices. The concept of a sacrifice in Judaism, which is the essential feature of the Beis Amigdash, is not to appease God, but it is to fulfill the concept of justice, because God is a God of truth, you see. So as long as he can do it, then he can do it which means that through the operations of the Beis HaMikdash, God allows him to survive. That's a very important concept, what the Beis HaMikdash really is. Now, this doesn't mean we understand all of the ideas or all of the actions in a, in a korban. No, we don't. We don't understand why korbanus has to be this way and then that way, why it has to sometimes bring an ox, why a sheep? We don't understand why when you sprinkle the blood, and by the way, that's part of the kapora, where you take the blood of the animal and you sprinkle it on the mizbeach, on the altar. Because what you're really doing is saying that really I'm dedicating my life, the blood, the life blood, right, onto the altar, which is, represents God. You see, all of this is to conform to the justice. Now, we don't understand all the details. They are rooted in tremendous mysteries. You see, there are thousands and thousands of halachas, of laws, in Kobanus. I mean, the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah has two svarim with all the dinam. There are thousands and thousands of dinam, laws, concerning the sacrifices. Now, obviously, we don't understand why this Corbin has to uh, has to go this way, these actions, and why that Corbin has these actions, we don't know. They're all rooted in tremendous rooted in tremendous mysteries. But what I'm telling you is the general understanding of what a Corbin is. You see, um, like I said, now where do we see this? 
we see this from the Akedah. Because Avraham Avinu offered Yitzchok as a sacrifice. And then, of course, God says, don't do it, right? The Malach said, don't do it, right? So he took him off. But then it says, right, and Avraham Avinu saw, right, a idol, a ram, and he offered that ram. That's what it should say. But it says, and he offered that ram, Tachas Benoi, instead of his son. Now, why does it say that? It should just say that he saw this ram entangled, right, in the bush. He took it, and he offered it. Finished. What's this Tachas Benoi? Why does it say instead of his son? And that's the idea. Because that was a korban, the isle. But what was the meaning of that korban, that isle? And the answer is, it was a substitute for his son, which is what I'm saying. That really Yitzchak should have been slaughtered for whatever reason. But God allowed Avraham Avinu to use an animal instead of his son. You see? And from there you see the essential concept of Korbanus. You see? It's a very important idea. And we see it from the Akedah. That when somebody is mechuyav, he's obligated to die for whatever reason, then he can actually substitute an animal. He should confess and substitute an animal for this. This is what we see from the Akedah Tachas Benoi, instead of a son. We see the fundamental understanding, principle of Kobanus. <clears throat> you know where you also see this? Last week was Pasha's Shmini. And what was that? There were eight days of celebration. And in the end, uh, the Shekhinah, God's presence, rested on the handiwork of Moshe Rabbeinu on the Mishkan. And of course, it was unbelievable. And the Medrash says that the day that the Mishkan was completed, that God had a simcha, so to speak, that was equal to the simcha when he created the world. That God did not have so great a simcha as he did when the Mishkan was completed. You see. And then right after that, we know there was the death of Nodav and Avil, right? They brought strange fire, and therefore they, which was wrong, and they died because God is very exacting, right, with tzaddikim. <clears throat> and why do we have what's called this juxtaposition of these two events? And the idea is this. Why was God so happy? <clears throat> the answer is that once you had the mishkan, then you had the ability of somebody who sins, right, to do tshuva, not by his death, but by bringing a sacrifice. Therefore, the world can continue to exist. You see? Uh, so the Mishkan meant that mankind can continue to exist by using a method of substitution. And therefore, the world will continue to exist, and then therefore the Tikkun can be complete. And to show you how important that Mishkan was, Nodav and Avihu died, and that was Mishpat, that was justice. You see? And that's what would have been had there been no Mishkan. That a person sins, 
he would die because that is the absolute cause or rather effect or consequence of somebody sinning, as I explained. You see, so the death of Nodav is exactly what would happen to everybody without a Mishkan. So when the Mishkan was built, that offered everybody a substitute way, you see, to do tshuva, then that was an incredible joy to God. Why? Because that would mean that the, that the uh, world has a kiyum, has a can now continue to exist, and therefore the tikkun can be complete. You see? So that's one of the ideas of the Pesamikdash, this whole concept of that there is a substitute or a representational way, you see, for there to be that, you see. So therefore, that is a very important concept. So therefore, Corbonus, you see, Corbonus then is one of the ways of actually bringing the Mashiach, which is interesting. Most people don't look at it that way, you see. <clears throat> now, that's a very important concept, you see. Now, besides that, the, another way to bring the Mashiach is do not speak Lashon Hara. And I mentioned many times, long time ago, why? <clears throat> because the problem is when a person speaks Lashon Hara, then the Sutton has the ability to prosecute that person, measure for measure. You speak Lashon Hara, so you, con- you condemn through your words of Lashon Hara, right? You condemn another person. So the Sutton has the ability or the right, measure for measure, justice, to condemn you. So therefore, his condemnation is what? Is a, um, uh, a, a kitrug prosecution, you see? Now the problem is that Jews speak Lashon Hara, and because of that, they're always being judged in heaven. Now, the Chavetz Chaim says, if a person does not speak Lashon Hara, so then he brings the of much closer. Why? Because if you don't speak Lashon Hara, it's very difficult for the Sutton to prosecute you, you see. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why you live a long time. Because since you don't get prosecuted, because you don't speak Lashon Hara, you will hardly ever be judged. And therefore you will live a long time. You see. So therefore, one of the ways of bringing Mashiach is... Stop speaking Lashon Hara, and therefore you will not be judged. And because you are not judged, you will live a long time, and you, Christ, will be zoicha to the Mashiach. And the truth is, that's exactly what we saw happen in Egypt. We know that the Jews were supposed to be there 400 years, but they were only there 210. So the Sutton, right, and the reason why they were in Egypt is because they spoke Lashon Hara. Like Moshe Rabbeinu said, he saw one Jew hitting another Jew, right? And he said to him, Russia, why are you hitting your judge, that other person? Uh, and then he made a statement, surely the matter is known. Now, normally the Peshat is, surely the matter that I killed the Egyptian will be known to the Pharaoh, to Parai. Uh, but Rashi says that's not what he said. What he really said was, 
Why is that the Jews are so punished terribly? And the answer is because they speak Lashonara. Because this person that he said, why are you hitting your fellow Jew? That person answered him, well, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And he revealed that to Parai. And that was Mesira. So Moshe Rabbeinu realized that's why the Jews are in Golis. Because they speak Lashon Hara. And because of that, they're always being judged. And therefore the Gula does not come. Therefore, the remedy for that was <clears throat> don't speak Lashon Hara. Yes. And because the Jews did not speak Lashon Hara, as a result of that, they were redeemed. In other words, the Sultan was up there prosecuting the Jews and saying, what do you mean you can't take them out? They've only been there 210 years. They've got 100, another 190 years to go, right? Uh, so therefore, it says three times in the Medrash, Lo lo the reason why the Jews were redeemed in Egypt is because they stopped speaking Lashonara, which is amazing. <clears throat> Therefore, what that says is that for some reason, the Jews in Egypt stopped speaking Lashonara, and that is why they were redeemed from Egypt. Why? Because if they stopped speaking Lashonara, there was no prosecutions in heaven. So the Sutton could not say anything in terms of the fact that they were only there 210 years. <clears throat> so it comes out that the fact that the Jews did not speak Lashon Hara is the basic reason why they were able to be redeemed from Egypt. Now what is interesting <clears throat> is when they were at the Yamsuf, right, they started complaining and saying, what do you mean? They saw the Egyptian army and they were frightened and they said, well, why did you bring us out here? Because there are no graves in Egypt. Because the Egyptians want to bring us back to Egypt and enslave us. They were complaining against God. That's Lashon Hara. Uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu said, very interestingly, he said, Stand back and watch as Yeshua Sashem, salvation of God. Hu Yilochim Rochem. He will fight for you. The Atem Tachrishon. But be silent. <clears throat> now the question is, why did he say be silent? He should have just said, right, and God will save you. What does it mean be silent? Because he said, it's very important, that the whole reason why you were able to get out of Egypt, the merit, was that you didn't speak Lashonara, right? And therefore there was no Kitrugam. But if you continue speaking Lashonara against God, why did he take us out to be killed by the Egyptians? That's Lashon Hara. Where's your Muna? Where's your Bitochen? Right? Uh, so if you speak Lashon Hara, so then the Sutton can argue against you and say, wait a minute, you can't go out. You've still got another 190 years to go. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu said, the Atem Tachrishon, you have to be silent. You do not want to speak Lashon Hara because that's going to allow the Sutton to prosecute you and the whole gu'ula will be nullified. That's why he said it. Uh, therefore, we see very clearly that the second way to bring Mashiach is not to speak Lashon Hara, 
Therefore, there's no prosecutions. And as there's no prosecutions, then we can be redeemed also. So that is the second way that Chazal say, and the Chavetz Chaim says, that if Jews do not speak Lashon Hara, they will be redeemed just like it happened in Egypt. See, they will also be redeemed, which is a very, very important concept. So I have offered two different ways. One is to be very careful with not speaking Lashon Hara. As we see, that's what brought the Jews out of Egypt, right? And the second thing, right, is not only that, but the second thing is learn Korbanus. When you daven chakras in the morning, say the uh, sections that talk about the offerings of the Beis HaMikdash. That will be considered as if you have, you know, learned. That will be considered as if you had done these things, you see. And as a result of that, that merit, it's considered as if you have done the Korbanus. That merit will allow you to be redeemed. You see? So, those are basically two ways that you can actually bring Mashiach to the concept of the base Amigdash. Any questions? Also, Rabbi, the, the Kitaret is also before Elena two times in Shachari. Say that again? The, the prayers about the sacrifices is again repeated before Aleinu and Shacharit, so you read it two times in the morning. Yes, exactly. That's why they put those before prayers, by the way. Time. Yeah, that's why they put those uh, 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 feelers, uh in Shacharit, because it's one of the ways of and getting an atonement. And also it's again repeated in Mincha. Yes, correct. Why, why does it say the time in, um, in the morning? Why does it say what? Why do we say twice in the morning? Because the two major sacrifices in the Beit HaMikdash what's called the Korban Tomet. And those two sacrifices were critical. You see? So the Shachrit one is called the Tomet Shel Shachris. It was the Korban that the Jews, it was a communal sacrifice, right, that the Jews brought uh, in the morning in the Beis HaMikdash. It was a community sacrifice. So that's Shachrit. And the second Korbanus is by Mincha, which they brought in the afternoon. You see, that's why by Meirev there's no Korbanus, you see. But mm-hmm. those two Korbanus are the major Korbanus of the Beit HaMikdash. And we say to them, to, uh, in lieu of them, say in Shachras and also in Mincha. You so see? My question is, why what? Why in Shacharit? Why in Shacharit? Oh, well, actually, the, the, because the second one is basically about the Keturis. Right? And that we offer also as a Kapara. The Keturis. The incense. Right? That's the second one. So you have the offerings in the, mo- in the morning. Time. What was that? 
Ketoret is two times. Well, you say the Ketoret is before Mincha, right? Because you also want the Kapora. The Ketoret was a Kapora for Lashon Hara. Yeah. You see. So it's not only Kobonus, but you also want to have an atonement for Shmina Talashon, for Lashon Hara. You see? No, but and that, and Amy's question is, is why do we say it right after Birkat HaShachar and once again right before we finish, uh, uh, right before the Aleinu? Why is it two times the same prayer? You, I'm trying to understand what, she, what you're asking. Why do we say Korbanus in the morning? We say it two twice. times. We say, we say right um, after... A bit shachar, and then also yeah. again in shachari we say it right before aleinu. So why do we need to say it twice in the morning? Yeah. So what I'm saying is that the emphasis in the one in the morning, not by mincha. That's like I said, is you want to say the korbanus. That's the major emphasis. It, it repeats an entire in mesechtes vachem perakei. It brings down all the sacrifices, but the main emphasis is on the sacrifices. And the second part of Shachrit, the main emphasis is a kapora for Lashon Hara. You know? I'm still not getting the answer. It's still not answering the question. No, Rachel, he is. He's saying the first part in the morning is for regular sins that you do. And then the second part is for specifically Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara. Yes. In fact, in the Beit HaMikdash in Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol went inside the Holy of Holies, right? And what he did there mm-hmm. is he offered incense on the on the uh, the uh, on in, in the Mizbeach Hazov, okay? And the question is why? And the answer is because the Jewish people needed a kapara for Lashon Hara. Could you imagine the holiest man at the holiest time and the holiest place? And what was the essential avodah procedure or service in the Holy of Holies? And that was to atone for Lashon Hara. That's how great it was that they needed a kapara. Because that stops the prosecutions of the Satan. And therefore that is the most damaging to the Jewish people. As we know, <clears throat> because the second Beit Tamikdash was destroyed the Gemara says, because of Sinat Chinam, right? And the Chofetz Chaim and the Mashal, great commentary, say that it wasn't baseless hatred that destroyed the second Beis HaMikdash. It was the Lashon Hara that is caused by baseless hatred. That's what destroyed the second temple. You see? So we see how important it is not to speak Lashon Hara. In fact, I might as well add... <clears throat> that in Rosh Hashanah we have how many koilis? 100, right? I think mm-hmm. this father have 100 too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? So Ramchal, Ramosh Chaim says that the first three, second three, th- the first third, which is 30, second is 30, third is 30, right? Each one is for three, uh, each one is for one Avera where you are obligated to die, let yourself die, instead of transgressing. That's Gile Arayis, adultery, Shvichas Dome, murder, and Avedizora, idolatry. That leaves 10 unexplained, because that has 90. But we blow 
100. So the last 10 is a kapara for Lashon Hara. Could you imagine that Rosh Hashanah needs, needs 10 out of the 613 commandments? Three, I've explained, and one, the one left, right, is Lashon Hara. So could you imagine how powerful Lashon Hara is <clears throat> as one of the major damaging agents of the Jewish people? And then when it comes to Yom Kippur, right, the incense was used as a kapara for Lashon Hara. So could you imagine that on both of these days you need a major kapara for Lashon Hara, you see? And therefore the Chavetz Chaim says that that is, and that's why the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because of Lashon Hara, which produced baseless hatred. But that was the real sin, you see. And like I said, the Jews were redeemed from Egypt. Why? Because they did not speak Lashon Hara. Very important idea, you see. Rabbi, I have a question. Yeah. So, you said when B'nai was asking Moshe at the Yom Suf, uh, why did Hashem take us out, um, that that was uh, as if they were saying Lashon Hara about Hashem. So yes, when, they were complaining. Right, yeah, so they were implying. Person, what was that? So when a person complains in their life, in their own life, uh, why is this happening to me, so and so forth, is that as if they're speaking Lashon Hara about Hashem? Well, remember one thing. Lashon Hara is you have to say it to somebody else. If you say it to yourself, that's not called Lashon Hara. That's called a chison emuna. A, no, let's a, a, say you're talking to somebody. They're saying, I don't know why this is all happening to me. Why is Hashem doing this to me? What do I have to, I don't understand. Like, you know, people complaining. Yes, that is. That is Lashon Hara. Yes. Because the implication is that God is wrong. God is not just, unjust. And that is why it's happening. But that's Lashon Hara, exactly. When a person complains to others in other people's presence that the, the acts of God are not just, that God is wrong or whatever, yes, a person is speaking Lashon Hara against God. Correct. But if you say it to yourself, that is not called Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is a sin of uh, communications. So if you talk to yourself that you're not talking to somebody else, so therefore that's not Lashon Hara. What it is, of course, is a deficiency in belief in God, in betochen, in trusting God, obviously. But that's true. I wanted to I wanted to ask you if you could elaborate a little more about the um, when the Bedtime Akdash Ashlishi comes, about the portal that, um, that we step into. Well, like I had mentioned, the essential idea is that the third base of Middash is not built by man. That's why they were destroyed. In fact, the first Beit HaMikdash actually was called the Mishkan, right? That was not destroyed either. Why? Because it was built by Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And the presence of God actually came onto that. We know, because it says, and the presence of God dwelt on that. So those things were never destroyed. 
they were much too holy. The other two Beit HaMikdash, the first and the second, they were destroyed because they were built by man. The third Beit HaMikdash is basically built by God. And what I elaborated on last week is that what that really is, when God builds it, what that really is, is the Beit HaMikdash, the Maila, becomes physicalized, becomes a physical entity. And therefore, the residence of God, or the presence of God, as he appears up high in Olam Yitzira, will be manifest here in this world, which is Olam And as a result of that, that type of presence produces an astounding revelation of God, which will automatically mean that this world will be filled with the knowledge of God. So in that sense, it's like the upper world of Yitzhira actually has been brought down to this world. You see? So it's like a doorway into Olim Yitzhira. And therefore, the results are beyond our imagination. We cannot even begin to understand what happens. You see? And what I'm providing is an understanding of why this happens. Or rather, what is the operating principle? And the operating principle is that the upper base amygdala now becomes our base amygdala here. And therefore, it brings down here in this world all the, the uh, environment of the upper one, which is Oilim and therefore, we are privy to a revelation, a gilui, which is unimaginable. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, you make us want it to happen right away. I know. Isn't that, doesn't that uh, increase the desire? Yeah. Look, I, I mentioned <clears throat> that the Midrash at the end of Kohelet says, that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu is luft, is empty air compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. And we're not talking about heaven, we're talking about this world, but the Kedusha of when the Mashiach comes is so, it is unimaginable. What can I tell you? It's just we cannot even comprehend. And we're not even talking about Olam Habo, you see? We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about a physical appearance of the Beis Amigdash, except it is really of, of another world. It's like another world came down, became part of ours. So therefore, that is an entry. It's a doorway into that upper world. But meanwhile, what pours out of that doorway into our world is a world which we cannot even begin to be masik. You see, we cannot begin to really understand it. And that's how it happens. What was that? This will pour out into the whole entire world or only pour out into Israel? No, it will pour out into the entire world. However, there will be boundaries, you know, in the, you know and so on. There will be different sections. Jerusalem, Jerusalem will become enlarged to fill the entire Eretz Israel. You see, and then the rest of the world 
will be like Eretz Yisrael. The whole planet changes because the, 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 the uh, divine presence now fills the entire earth. Like it says, Kimola Oretz Deo. The whole Oretz, the whole world, becomes filled with the knowledge and the presence of God. It's not something that we can imagine. Remember, there's no death. There's no Satan. It's all gone. All there is is unimaginable holiness. That's all there is, you see. And that affects the entire planet. And that's before everything begins changing in the year 6000. After that, the entire universe changes. You know? Well, it's certainly something to look forward to, that's for sure. So, Rabbi, I have a question. So, if Mashiach Ben Yosef brings down the um, Beit HaMikdash, then where do, when does Mashiach Ben David come in? Well, see, well, he's supposed to come in after there's a... <clears throat> when the Beit HaMikdash, and then there's a war. That's the Goyge Mogoy, oh, where so the world the realizes... Happens. The war happens after the Beit HaMikdash is already here? It would seem that the... See, that itself is not clear, but it seems to be perhaps that when the Beit HaMikdash is in the beginning stages, let's say, then that war would happen. I mean, obviously, when it's manifest, when it's built, and it has that, those properties, yeah, obviously at the end of the whole... Uh, hatred of the Jew. But in the beginning stages, when there is a Mashiach ben Yosef, and he begins to gather the exiles, remember, Misham Yikabetzko, that's when the war is supposed to basically happen, where evil tries to make its last comeback. What? I thought you said the Holocaust could be the Gog and Magog war. Well, what the Holocaust certainly did is it it uh, lessened the terrible impact of the end of time. <clears throat> you know, that's what it did. But it, it's not necessarily the war of Goyeg and Mogoyeg. But what it did do, because it says that in the last war of Goyeg and Mogoyeg, only one or two families of a city will survive. That's how bad to bring Dinam, to bring the world up to its justice, does take that, unfortunately. However, what the Bansham did is he used the Holocaust to absorb almost all of that type of suffering. And that's really what happened. Only a couple of people in any given city survived. All the cities were wiped out. All the Jews in the cities were wiped out. You know? <clears throat> so therefore that did happen. But that's really what it did. It enormously reduced the suffering of the end. That's really what it did. And I believe that's why the Holocaust was so bad. It didn't have to be that bad. It could have just been a war, basically, of the entire world. Why did it have to be such an unbelievable, brutal war? I mean, the Jews, you know, they were like, uh, it was just incredible. Everything about the Jew was used. His ashes, his skin... It was just unbelievable. And I believe because what God did is he added, which he does by many times, 
If somebody has to go through suffering, what God will do is add suffering from some other sin that he would not have gotten now. Uh, but once God is bringing suffering on him, right, <clears throat> so what God does is he adds to the, <clears throat> to the punishment itself, <clears throat> even though that the punishment which is coming is because of a sin, which is not as severe, but God will add to that punishment. You see, you find that by the Chet Egel and the Miraglam, where God says, you know, in, in every generation, I will add part of the punishment of the, of the uh, Chet Egel. In other words, the punishment that they get is for a reason. But God will add punishments which are due for previous sins, you see, to balance everything. And he does that many times. So the Holocaust is one of those examples. Well, the Holocaust in and of itself didn't have to be as that severe, you see. But God made it much more severe because what he did is he took all the debt that the Jews had in terms of punishments that they deserved, and he just added it to the brutality of the Holocaust. That is why <clears throat> the Holocaust will have reduced enormously the suffering that the Jews will have at the end of time in order to balance the books. You see? So that's what it does do. Yes, that's what it does. <clears throat> you know? Anyway, all of this is happening. Rabbi, what do you think about Israel cyber-attacking uh, the nuclear plant of Iran, and Iran said that they reserve the right to retaliate? They've been saying that for years, and they don't retaliate. Yesterday. No, yesterday. Yeah, what, what did they do exactly? They destroyed what? The... Uh, what exactly did the they do? They were, they were revving up um, producing uranium, and yeah, they the did something that destroyed their mechanism, the computers, and it caused a lot, a lot of damage. How many years did it set now, them back? I don't know. They said a lot, and they said, right now this is an act of terrorism, and we will retaliate. Well, it is. It's an act of war. That's what happens when Iran threatens the existence of Israel. But th that doesn't mean anything. All it is is talk. <clears throat> Look, Iran does not want to start a war with Israel because they know that Israel can destroy the mullahs. They know that. So really, it's, it's very bad for Iran because their whole credibility as a powerful nation is in the garbage. You know, they are, they are really, they, they are caught between a rock and a hard place, <clears throat> you see, because they cannot retaliate on Israel because they, they realize that Israel can destroy them. I mean, could you imagine what it is for a country to go into another country and wipe out a major security installation and nuclear, you know, uh, <coughs> nuclear devices? You imagine the, the intelligence that Israel has, and Iran realizes that, that Israel knows everything that they're doing. And therefore, they are afraid. You see? So that, this is just talk to look like they're brave and to look like they're powerful. But really, how many times has Israel done this to Iran? Many times. 
And they cannot retaliate. What do they do? They retaliate by trying to do something with a ship? I heard Israel took out a ship also in the Persian Gulf. Some spy ship. But whatever it is, all it is is bravado talk. What? It's true. Yeah. They did knock out a ship. Yeah, they knocked out a ship. So all of this is just, this is just, you know, look, they have to do something or or else they lose face. You know, obviously, here's Iran that's trying to, you know, uh, display themselves as the, the mighty Iranian empire. And you know, meanwhile, Israel is making, is wreaking havoc with them. And they can't do anything. What's interesting is even though Trump is not around, because then they were really afraid, they can't even do it with Biden, because they're afraid of Israel. They don't want to start a war with Israel, because Israel can take them out. That's why. <clears throat> sure. Uh, but uh, look, Israel has to do it, especially with Biden giving money to the PLO, Biden that wants to give money to Iran. They have to do it. And they're doing it. You know? It's amazing when you think about it. <clears throat> I mean, the whole world must stand in awe of what Israel is doing to Iran. You know, how, one, how a small country like Israel, you know, can, can do this. How sophisticated <clears throat> their intelligence must be and their war, war and military ability must be. You know, I'm sure the whole world is in awe of them. You know, no nation could do this. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I believe there will be a war between Iran and Israel eventually. Because it's only a matter of time until Iran realizes that they're losing tremendous amount of respect in the nations of the world, <clears throat> you see, and that they will conduct a war. And I believe that Israel will wipe them out and get rid of all of them, at least the infrastructure, that's for sure. You know what I mean? So, wow. Month, anyway, Iyad, if this month Iyad is Ani Hashem Rofecha, yes, and, and the whole point of um, Sefirat HaOmer with 49 days when Benazir was in the Midbar was so that they, Hashem would heal them and they would release, release the Zohama and they were all healed before Matan Torah. Correct. Could we be right. on, Could we be on any trajectory to that type of? Like, is there any hope in in Shavuot, like that we could, that something could happen in that, not that form, but if something could happen in that way? Yes. Look, you have to remember, v'nahapichu, that whatever is going to happen with the gula, is going to happen overnight and instantly, and the world will wake up stunned. That's the way so far things happen. You see. <clears throat> that out of nowhere, something drastic happens. And this is what's going to happen. There will come a time when it's over. The tikkun will have been accomplished, and the Jewish people will be worthy of redemption. And in that instant time, not a second later, something will happen historically that the world will be stunned. We just don't know when. But it will happen. And when it does, it's going to come out of nowhere. You know? 
but it will happen, hopefully very soon. What does because that mean? all of this, what was that? What does it mean, like historically something would happen? Like, like exa- like, could you give an example? <clears throat> Not that it, that's going to happen, but like something like what? Like what are we thinking? What are we? Well, for instance, you know, like the the like the uh, the fall of communism happened in three days. You know, I don't know if you recall, but uh, they overthrew com- communism in three days. Who would ever predict that communism, which was so steadfast, was overthrown in three days? Whoever heard so of that? Maybe the fall. Maybe what? The fall of Biden. Maybe. Something Biden could fall happen. in three days would be good, too. Well, then you're inv- then you're inviting Harris. Yeah, exactly. Well, they let Harris... them both fall at the same time. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you never know. Look, it's not a big deal for the Rabbanim to end evil. We just have to deserve right. it, and when it happens, it'll happen overnight. The world will be stunned. You know, it's like the Six Day War. Remember, nineteen sixty seven when they were all attacked by Egypt and everybody. And all of a sudden, in six days, Israel had Jerusalem back. They had the coastal back. The world was stunned. Out of nowhere, they had everything back. You see? Uh, That's the way the redemption happens. Out of nowhere. And the next minute, you're free. And does the Mashiach have to be here? Do we know that the Mashiach is here before that, that... That scenario happens, or that scenario happens first, and then we we see who the Mashiach is. Um, I would imagine that the uh, these things will happen while the Mashiach is here. You know, the real question is: is he released from his klipa after or before? That's unknown. But I believe he certainly is here. You know, he's not going to be born later. He's here. The real question is, he can't be really just like Moshe Rabbeinu. It took him 80 years to get out of that clipper. You know? How do we know he's, he didn't, he didn't, he's not out of it? We don't know. We don't know he where he stands. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. Maybe he's telling Hashem to pick somebody else. Maybe he's what? No. Maybe he's telling Hashem, pick somebody else. Well, that's Moshe Rabbeinu tried that. Didn't work. Didn't work too well. It didn't work too well. (laughs) No. I think I think. He didn't get to Israel, so let's hope he didn't say that. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Look, like I say, it'll be stunning. When it happens, it'll come out of nowhere. That's how the Geula works. Just like Haman. One day he was on top of the world, and on the next day he was hanging. Out of nowhere. And we're close, right? Like we could, we're close, like we could, like it's not, it's to anticipate. We, I I believe we are very close. And And one of the ideas is you are watching America and the world engaged in behavior which is not just immoral, but it's uncivilized. 
there's a difference. <clears throat> America is concerned. It's unbelievable what's going on with gender and racism, and they are making laws which are insane because they do not resemble a civilization. America is dying as a civilization, you see. And therefore, I believe we're at the end. It's like Rabbi, Saddam. I was yeah. I was driving on the West Side Highway, and there was like a huge, huge sign on the FDR. Um, you know the Manhattan storage closets they, that people rent for storage? Yeah. Um, so it said on this huge sign, it said, um, we might be, we might have few um, closets in NYC, but at least we have, uh, we, we, we made a lot of closets for our children to come out of. Terrible. We, we make all your... Because gays coming out of the closet. Oh, you mean so, that, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. But huge, Rabbi, it was huge. It was a huge sign, right? Yeah, huge, Rabbi. You drive on the FDR. It's right in front of your face. It's like the Satan right in your face. It was repulsive. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rabbi, in the newspaper, was very upsetting in New York. A woman is going to court to... Fight the courts to be able to marry her adult son. Really? I, I never heard of such a thing. And how are they taking this to court? I have no idea. It's incest. It's really Sodom. Yeah, it's mommish incest. Oh, that's unbelievable. She wants to marry her adult son. It's wow. disgusting. Well, that's it. <clears throat> that is the what's called the bottom of the barrel. And you're what, we're watching that. And the problem is, this is not going to stop. It's going to get worse. You know, you can get worse where you're able to marry your pet. You know, why not? Yeah, you can marry your dog or but whatever. But it's really the, the same door of my, it, it has to be the same door of the dog. Yes, it is. That's why God destroyed. God destroyed Sodom not only because it was immoral, but it was uncivilized. This is not a civilization. Man has left sanity, you know, and therefore God said, this is not what I want. So he singled out Sodom and he destroyed it. God will not tolerate, I mean, it's one thing to tolerate homosexuality and so on, but it's another thing to tolerate, you know, uncivilized behavior. Because the problem is America is a symbol for the entire world. This is the problem. So if America wins, if a kid 10 years old can decide, is he a boy or girl, that's the end of mankind. You know, that's, that's, what, that's what's happening. You know, if this woman wins her case and is able to marry her son, then you've opened up the floodgates of incest. Uh, then anybody can marry anybody. You know what I'm saying? You can have uh, three people getting married. Why only two? Why not three? You know, what's the difference really, you know? Then it's a Hefkevelt. It's completely chaos. God will not tolerate that, as I said. So therefore, I believe we are at the end. You know, <clears throat> because of that, that's a very yeah, but strong sign. are we going to get destroyed with them? No. In no. Sodom, everybody got destroyed. Do we get destroyed with them? No. Sodom was destroyed, but not the entire world. 
you know. But this is the problem, like I say. Focus on the uncivilized aspect of what the world has become. Like I say, it's not moral. It's the world has turned into murderers where you can kill a kid, you know, within uh, 24 hours of its birth. That's infanticide. That's ritzicha, you know, where a child can determine what gender it is, you know, where anybody can marry anybody, and you can't even discriminate uh, because then they can take you to court. You know what I'm saying? In other words, that's the norm. You know, the norm is that, you know, you cannot refer to anybody's gender. They're taking away pronouns, you know. There's no him, his, her. It's all gone. You know what I'm saying? No mom, no dad. Would you believe this? This is psychotic. No mom, no dad. What do you, so what do you call them, parents? I don't know. It's psychotic Crazy. thinking. It's, it's what's called, it's like the patients in the insane asylum has taken over the asylum. The patients now run the asylum. No longer are they exactly. doctors. Yeah, so, so everybody's abnormal. Uh, so they will condone abnormal behavior, you see? And God will not tolerate that. That's really why uh, it, we're really at the end, because there's no reversal to this. It will not change. And the second thing, not only will not change, but America is a leader among the world. And if America does this, everybody's going to follow. That's what's going to happen. Europe, everywhere. And that's it. Mankind is on a downward spiral to the end. And the Bershom will not allow that. That's, I believe, why darkness has come to the world in order to balance the books of justice. And he's going to bring the Mashiach. And you'll see, you're going to wake up one morning and something will have happened that will have stunned the entire world. And that is the beginning of the end. Wow. You know, and I believe Inshallah, it's... God willing. Yeah, I believe it's soon. I believe it's sooner than later. <laughs>